Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast today. Uh, I'm so appreciative of all of you that listen to the podcast, that then go out of your way to let your friends know about them. And um, it is my prayer that we're helping you in your leadership journey to just be uh, a better leader than you've ever been. Today I want to take a few moments and I want to talk about drilling down on leadership. And so what I want to do is do exactly that. I want to go a little bit deeper than maybe uh, most conversations about leadership and most dialogues about leadership go. And I really want to deal with uh, leadership and, and how it begins to play out so often. And so what I want to do is just give you uh, a series of words that uh, are involved in leadership and how, as a leader, you have to interact with those words and the influence and the effect of those words on your leadership journey. So the first word that I want to spend a few moments on is uh, I want to use the word past, P-A-S-T, past. You know, uh, the past is an amazing thing. We know that in just communication, people talk about the, the past, the present, and the future. We understand the nature of tenses in English that deal with the past, what has happened, the present, what is happening, and the future, what could possibly happen. But here's the thing about the past. If you're a leader, the Bible places a priority on forgetting. In fact, that's how the Bible talks about the past. It says, forget the former things and remember them no more. And so the Bible just spends a whole lot of time talking about the past, but it talks about the skill of forgetting. And so in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says that what, the one thing he does is forgetting those things that are behind, and he presses towards the prize of the high calling that he has in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the thing about that. Uh, the past tends to paralyze. It tends to lock people into either an action, an attitude, and it tends to lock them in place where it seems like they're frozen. It's like someone hit the pause button. They can't go on. All of us have dealt with people that literally we watch them and uh, days may change, weeks may change, months may change, and years may change, but it seems like they're just stuck on pause. And the reason they're stuck on pause is there's an event that happened in their life that they've gone through and that event can be a whole lot of things. It could be the passing of a loved one. It could be a divorce. It could be a failure of a business, and all of those things that deal with the past at times create uh, people just being paralyzed. They're unable to move forward. They're unable to take another step. Now, here's the thing, is forgetting is defined as a necessary skill for spiritual advancement. And if I might uh, just add to it, it's not just a a necessary skill for spiritual advancement. It's a required skill for leadership advancement. And so I think everyone who's ever stood up and communicated from the Bible will readily agree. They'll give their version of amen. Yeah, the Bible talks a lot about forgetting. But here's the deal. It's not just forgetting, but it is developing 
the skill set that you are able to forget. Sometimes it's sort of an in-your-face kind of thing. Joshua chapter 1, God writes to Joshua or speaks to him and says, Moses, my servant, is dead, therefore arise. What was he doing? He was saying, hey, you got to get on with life. you got to keep moving. You can't stay in the past. You may have loved Moses. You may have cared about Moses. You may be interested in, in everything that Moses ever said, everything that Moses ever did, but I'm not wanting you to embrace a museum. I'm wanting you to take on a mission and therefore arise and move forward. Arise and move forward. But see, in leadership, forgetting takes on a whole new level. And the drill-down part of forgetting is just simply this. As a leader, forgetting is not just you forgetting things that you've done, but it's learning to forget things that other people have done. Because if you are going to lead, you're going to lead people who have a past. And because they have a past, you're going to be confronted with it to whatever degree they're confronted with it, and you're going to have to lead them. And so forgetting is not only the ability of God to manage your past, but forgetting is a leadership skill that is required if you are going to manage other people's past. And so if there's ever any individual that we can look at in Scripture and say, this is the individual, this is the person who epitomized that, we would say Paul is the poster child for forgetting. In fact, the example is in, in Acts chapter 9, after Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that divine encounter where literally he's walking down and all of a sudden a great light shines about him. Uh, he's asked the question, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute thou me? And all of a sudden uh, he's in that moment of, of dealing with God on a very, very... Uh, personal level. And what God's basically saying to Paul is, I know what you've done, but now I need you to do something else. And so Paul's going to learn firsthand how God is going to be serious about his past. And so in Acts chapter 9, I believe it's around verse 27, it starts talking about how that God needed to help Paul and his journey and he's going to send a fellow Christian, a fellow saint named Ananias. But one of the things that's going to go on here is the fact that Ananias knows who Paul is. He knows that he's the individual that has uh, sent out decrees to arrest people, to uh, take people and to uh, throw them in jail, and yeah, even have them killed. And as a result of that, Ananias is concerned about his involvement. So let's stop there. Paul's whole mission and ministry is going to begin based on God confronting him on his past, but then God speaking to someone to help him. But for that individual to help them, him, he's going to have to overcome Paul's past. And what I want to say to you is in leadership, that happens all the time. We have people that maybe uh, were at one company and uh, maybe they had excellent skill sets, but everything we're told about them is they're not a team player, that uh, they don't follow the rule book, that maybe they're independent, maybe uh, they go out of their way to sort of seize things and to do things uh, in a way that can be problematic. And you know that, 
I mean, an interview, we, we ask the question, tell us a time that you failed. Tell us a time that you thought you were going to do X, but X was wrong. And then tell us how you were able to handle making that mistake. What are we asking them? How do you manage the past? But the question's going to be, how do we manage the past? So in Acts chapter 9, it all centers on the fact that uh, Paul's going to have to deal with his own past, but then Ananias is going to have to deal with Paul's past. And so in leadership, if you're going to lead, there are going to be times when God's going to ask you to be personally involved with people that you know their history. You know their story. And it would seem like their story would disable them for the future. And so when I say that the past paralyzes, it doesn't just paralyze the individual who has the past, but many times the individuals who have seen or heard their past. And people at times get paralyzed and say, well, I know that individual. I know what they did. Uh, I know what happened. I know the, the background story. I know what everybody's not saying. I know that. But there are going to be times when God's going to ask you to lead, and you're going to have to lead in light of the past. There's going to be a time when it's sort of going to be, uh, the script's going to be flipped, and that's going to be involved in Acts chapter 13, because uh, Paul and Barnabas are going to go on a missionary journey, and when they go on that missionary journey, they're going to uh, take John Mark with them. We all know that for whatever reason, John Mark seemed to uh, struggle, and there's tended to be some problems with John Mark, and um, Paul didn't want to put up with it. This kid's not making it. He's not measuring up. He doesn't have the game. Uh, and if he does have the game, he's not bringing his A game. And it says that there was no small contention among them. And so as a result of that, Paul and Barnabas are going to go different ways. And the reason they're going to go different ways is because of an event. Now, think about this. You're Paul. You sent a young kid away and you said, this kid just can't uh, cut it. But yet what we know is that later on, Paul's going to write specifically of of John Mark and say, you know what? Uh, send John Mark to me. Well, what is happening here? It seems like Paul's being able to manage his past. Now, let me just make this statement in passing. When it comes to the past, everyone has moments where they fail. When it comes to the past, everyone has times when they make mistakes. But when it comes to the past, there's a difference between a misstep and not having character. And we don't have time to delve into it because one of the questions that I will be asked often is, well, I know this person and this person has all the talent in the world and then the but. Now, it's one thing if that but's about uh, an attitude that can be improved. It's another thing about an action that can be handled more wisely. But it's entirely different when it's a character equation. And sometimes the character equation gets 
people because they say, well, I don't want to hold their past against them. Now, when it comes to attitudes and actions, that's one thing. When it comes to character, that's another thing. And so someone would say, are you saying, Gerald, uh, if someone's had a character failure that that they can never uh, be valuable in a leadership equation? I'm not saying that at all because I've read the Bible. When I talk about reading the Bible, I'm talking about King David. And I'm talking about his character problem that he had with Bathsheba. His character problem that he had with Uriah. But in the midst of that, there came a day where he was confronted over his past. Now, it was a very creative uh, confrontation by Nathan. And in Psalm 51, we see David responding to a character failure. And what I would say to you is, um, yes, people with character failures can be repositioned in life. But it takes a very pronounced change in their life. That change is going to be very pronounced by Nathan when he says, you're the man. And then David's response to that conversation when he says, Lord, you and you only have I sinned against. Well, it sure seems like he sinned against Bathsheba. Sure seems like he sinned against Uriah. It sure seems like he sinned against a whole lot of places. But here it is. He's taking responsibility. And we don't have time to exegete the uh, Psalm 51. But I'll tell you, there's some key things in there that show you what is required if someone is going to manage a character failure excuse me, in their past. And so, if you're going to lead, here's what I know. If you're going to really be a leader, you're going to deal with the past. You're going to deal with your past, and you're going to deal with other people's past. And the key skill is you have to have the skill of forgetting. You have to have the skill of looking at people and not letting your past define your future, or letting someone else's past become their future. And both of those required if you're going to drill deep in leadership. Otherwise, the only people around you are going to be people who look good on the surface, but they probably haven't told you everything about what's underneath. So, the past. If you're going to lead, you got to lead in the past. You have to lead in your past. You're going to have to lead in other people's past. If you're going to lead in the past, it all deals with this one thing, forgetting those things that are behind. And that's one of the things that's a part of the leadership journey. I could give you some very visual uh, illustrations of this. As a pastor, I've had to really spend a lot of time with people along these lines. But I think you catch uh, the drift. And I've sat through a whole lot of leadership conferences. But they all teach as though somebody is just sort of benign and static, that they've never had any problems in their life, that there is absolutely nothing in their past. But that's not the kind of people I get to lead, and it's not the kind of people you get to lead. The next thing is, um, is just the word people. Leadership is about people. Now, again, I've said this often, I can't talk to you about secular leadership. I've never been a secular leader. I can just talk to you about spiritual leadership. And in spiritual leadership, what I know is the bottom line is people. 
We want to do the will of God so that we can help people to arrive at the will of God so that they can achieve the will of God. But it's about people. It's about people discovering God, walking with God, knowing God, doing things for God. It's about people. And so um, I don't think there was anyone that we could have as a better example of people skills than our Lord and Savior Jesus. So I want to reference uh, a series of verses from Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and it says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when they saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. So let me just uh, walk through some um, people skills. The first one that stands about is that Jesus went about all their cities and villages. If you're going to be able to help people, then you're going to have to have availability. There's going to have to be a time when you leave your office and you start engaging individuals. Now that can take a lot of forms and it can take a lot of formats, but you have to have availability. And it says, he went, but sometimes you're going to have to go. It's amazing how many people want to sit and then they wonder, well, where are the people? Uh, The people are out there. They're not always going to find you. You're going to have to find them. But the first skill that we see was that Jesus was available. He went to where the people were. We know that the um, standard of life was built around the synagogue and the temple during these days. So he went there. Now, for our society, it may be a different thing. It may be uh, Starbucks. It may be other arenas. But what I want to say to you is if you're going to affect people, then you're going to have to have availability to people. And then it says, when he went, he was intentional. He communicated to them. It says, teaching and preaching in their synagogues. So he took time to communicate. He took time to talk to them. And so high people skills are are people who are available to others and who take time to talk to others. And talking to others sometimes is one of those things that doesn't always seem to have a high reward. But it's sometimes the casual communications that set up the opportunity for the commitment communications. And so he was available, and then he shared, he taught. And then it says healing every sickness and disease. He just helped them. He helped them with their problems. If, if you're going to be impactful to people, you're going to have to help them. You're going to have to help them not on their good days, but their bad days. You're going to help them not when they feel on top of the world, but when they feel like the world's on top of them. And you're going to have to be an individual who goes out of your way to help. And in our society today, a lot of people are good at the platform. They're just not good at helping. In fact, a lot of people see the platform as the barrier between them and people. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. He made the platform, the synagogue, the temple, the opportunity 
to help people. And so ultimately, people don't remember who you are. They remember if you help them. When you help somebody, you pray when you don't have to pray, then you're in a position where you start impacting people. And it says that he was moved with compassion. See, just because you're available, just because you share and you communicate, and just because it may appear that you want to help, that doesn't mean that you care. A lot of people are very, very good at looking like they have it together on the outside. But on the inside, they're saying, wow, when can I get away from this person? I want to just do uh, the shake and bake, and I want to get away from them as soon as I can. But that wasn't what Jesus was. It wasn't just that he was available and he shared any help, but he cared. He was moved with compassion. And see, in years of my life, we've got to genuinely care. As I like to tell pastors, you can't change your heart without giving your heart. And that's why ministry is hard. Because it's not about natural skills alone, though natural skills are needed. It's about the ability to genuinely care about people. And you get to care about them when they really don't care about you. And you get to care about them when they're really uh, not even caring for themselves. We deal with people that many times are in circumstances where it doesn't seem like they care. And we care more for them. That's a little bit of what Jesus was doing that day, was that he was caring. And then it says, he saw them, as sheep having no shepherd. If you're going to have a deep impact with people, you're going to have to have a vision. Not a vision for you, a vision for them. In our society, everyone wants to talk about their dream. They want to talk about their vision. But isn't it interesting that when Jesus saw them, didn't say he saw himself, he saw them. And that's sort of what vision is. It's sort of the dichotomy between a man-made vision and a God-made vision. See, a man-made vision is about you. A God-made vision is about others. And so he had a vision. And he said, they were like sheep without a shepherd didn't say that they were like people without a communicator. said they were people without a shepherd. Someone to step into their lives and guide them. And so, let me give you the skills. Availability, he went. Sharing, he taught. He helped because he healed. He cared because he had compassion. He had vision for him because he saw him as sheep without a shepherd. And he had a plan for him. And that plan was he was going to raise up shepherds. So if you're going to do the deep dive of leadership, then you're going to have to dive real deep into this. The past and people. Now, the third word is pain. And um, years ago, I did a roundtable, probably 25 years ago, where I made the statement that um, you only grow up to your pain threshold. And so I illustrate it in churches this way. If you can't handle 10 people criticizing you, why would God give you a bigger church? Because the more people you pastor, 
the more people will criticize you. See, if you have 100 people, 10 of them are going to criticize you. And that's going to be painful. If you have a church of 1,000, 100 people are going to criticize you. If you have a church of 10,000, 1,000 people. See, it doesn't change. Just the more people, the larger the platform, the larger the criticism. And so you're going to have to be able to metabolize pain. So there are going to be events where people are going to strike out at you. People are going to do things to you. People are going to not do things for you. And all of those things can be painful. And because they can be painful, you're going to have to understand there are days when you're going to play hurt. Cal Ripton, who uh, played third base for the Baltimore Oreos, he uh, broke the record for most uh, games played, consecutive games played. And when he broke that record of most consecutive games played, he was asked, how do you play that many games in a row? And he said, you have to learn to play hurt. Now, I'm not trying to be negative here, but I am saying there are times when you're going to feel it. And you got to be able to have your A game even when you feel like you don't want to be in the game. And that's a part of what is required in leadership. The ability to manage. Now, your pain threshold, in fact, I wrote a whole book about this uh, called Understanding Your Pain Threshold. But really, to me, I wrote that book for the very last chapter because I was doing a roundtable and a young kid asked me this question. Well, what do you do if your pain threshold and your wife's or your husband don't match? I thought it was brilliant. How many times do we know that it's not you that's in pain, but your wife is? Or it's not you that's in pain, your husband is? And so I wrote eight principles in that book. I don't have time to go over them, but eight principles of of how you relate to each other's pain threshold. But let me go back to this point. Um, If you're going to grow your pain threshold, three things are needed. There's going to have to be prayer. Jabez put it this way, enlarge our boundaries, God. You're going to have to do some enlarging. You're going to have to do some stretching. See, if you don't stretch, you're likely to pull a muscle. But every time you pray, you're stretching yourself so that you're bigger on the inside, so that you can handle more on the outside. And that's what prayer does. Prayer is when you become bigger on the inside. And so you're going to have to be a person who doesn't have a prayer list, but you have a prayer life. And if you have a prayer life... That's going to be an equation that's going to allow you to handle moments of challenge. And then you're going to have to have perspective. See, I teach young people that when you lead, you never lead from earth to heaven. You lead from heaven to earth. Your heavenly view is what stops you from getting bogged down in your earthly perspective. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus doesn't say looking at you. The Bible says set your affection on things above. doesn't say get consumed with things below. And so you're going to have to make sure that you view life not from earth up, but from heaven down. And when you see things from 30,000 square feet, things that are really, really big, 
down here don't look big when you're at 30,000 feet. And so at 30,000 feet, the big things are not that big. And so you're going to have to have perspective. And then I want to go back to that word people, but in a different way. You're going to have to have people who love you for being you. Who don't let you stay in your problem, but they're people who help you reach your potential. I've said it for years. Most everyone I know, what they do is they choose people who make them comfortable. God wants us to choose to hang around people who make us better. So, three words. We have the past, we have people, we have pain. The fourth word, persistence. You're going to have to have some staying power. You're going to have to be able to stay and have the power to keep standing. You know, when we've done all the stand, stand. The Navy SEALs have a quote. When your body tells you you can't do anymore, you have 40% more you can do. They call it the 40% rule. The body will tell you, you got to stop right now. You can't run one more. You can't do one more push-up. You can't handle one more minute without sleep. You can't handle another second without food. You can't handle the 40% rule. Your flesh will tell you to quit at 60%. But God is going to help you to persist and give you staying power. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have Paul talking and and it's one of the most um, elaborate chapters on what I consider staying power. In fact, I did a whole leadership message on staying power verse by verse through um, the 18 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But let me just give you two verses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he begins by saying, We've obtained this mercy, therefore we faint not. Can I tell you? God's giving you what it takes to keep going. You may not feel like going. You may not think you can go. But God's giving you whatever is required to keep going. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 16, it says, For this cause we faint not. The first one deals with the fact that God's giving you the equipment to keep going. Now, you didn't deserve it. It's His mercy. The second one deals with you have a cause, and therefore because you have that cause, too much is at stake. You can't quit. You can't stop. You've got to keep going. And so what I find is the more people focus on what God's given them, they keep going. The more people focus on the cause that they have, they keep going. Most people, the reason they quit is they lose their purpose. And as long as you have a purpose, you're going to be able to keep going. Paul said, none of these things move me. Why? That I might finish with joy. So, four words that I believe help us to uh, drill down on leadership. As a leader, you're going to have to be able to handle the past, yours and others. As a leader, you're going to have to develop the uh, basic people skills to be able to engage and interact based on the Jesus model. And then you're going to have to be able to metabolize pain. 
you're going to have to be able to grow your pain threshold. And then you're going to have to persist. You're going to have to stay in the game. You're going to have to have some staying power. This is really what I'm talking about when drilling down. These aren't superficial skills. These are the deep skills. That's why we call it drilling down into leadership. Thank you so much for uh, taking these moments with me. Uh, I pray God's blessing on you. I want to remind you that I have a new book out. It's called uh, Snapshots of Faith. And it's really uh, a verse-by-verse study of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. See, in the New Testament, we're taught there are three kinds of faith. There's triumphant faith. That tends to be the faith everyone talks about in this country. But there's transformational faith. See, a lot of people want to be triumphant. They want God to solve their problems, but they don't want God to change them. But God said that faith doesn't just resolve problems. It changes you. Triumphant faith and transformational faith. But then there's a third kind of faith, and that's transcending faith. And really, when you study the Bible uh, verse, verse by verse, you find out the preponderance of all faith is not about triumphant or transformational. It's about transcending, where it says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, you can sit there and say, hey, that's triumphant. The next verse, knowing that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. See, in Romans chapter 8, verse 37 It says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Well, what is the next thing that he says we're more than conquerors? He says, in death and in life. Notice that he didn't say in life and in death. He started with the word death. Why? Because if you're a person of faith, you know your life transcends this life. And that when you die, that's not the end of life. That's just the beginning of life with God. And so this book is verse by verse. It's 40 years of ministry, walking people through a journey of faith, seeing them on their good days and their bad days. If you want to go to Gerald Brooks Ministries and order that book, if you're a pastor, my executive pastor says, this will be the the best and most well-taught book you've ever produced. It's simple. I don't write complex things. I write in an outline form, but it'll help you if, a pa- if you're a pastor or a leader, help other people. Thank you so much. I pray God's blessing upon you. Thank you for doing good things. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.